Somewhere men are laughing and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Muddle. Mighty Casey has Doing a mock draft for the MLB draft just sounds like fucking Kafka ass. He's crazy. <laughs> That's like I I couldn't do that. We should I, be good. I think think we might even have okay. the same equipment. Do you have the like pod track? No, no, no. Oh, I got okay. mine is like five years old. Like oh, uh, shit. okay. I got this Tascam four track. Like it's really you don't even need something as good as i have for podcasting it's more for recording oh, like uh is like multi-track oh very like, cool. I, when i was in a band i basically had the analog version of this nice. oh wow would you play tapes. uh i played drums i mean i didn't nice. own the tape machine but we <laughs> recorded on a four track there you go that was like this and then i found the usb version of it for like 150 200 bucks used so i bought that and these like fucking Sennheiser whatever Oh my god! Oh, really that's nice. Cool. Yeah. Oh no! No, I got the fake Sennheiser, the Baron. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was gonna say Sennheiser's like yeah. expensive ass mics, no, but no. But I mean, a set of these, or you know, it fucking runs you eighty bucks for four mics. Like it was fucking nothing. No, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, the podcast started paying for itself. Like it took a couple of years, but you know, the couple hundred bucks I had to put into sure. it made themselves back. That's the goal, isn't it? Barely. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one day. Yeah. Now that I think about all the fucking movie tickets I've bought. I, I think <laughs> That's right. I think I'm still in the red. I think I'm still in the red here. <laughs> Bring back movie pass. Well, it, wait, hold on. If you have to think about the fact that you're still in the red, then you're doing good. <laughs> if it's not well, obvious. Then, <laughs> oh, then trust it. me. I, I have long, uh, well, like forgotten about the idea of monetizing my podcast like i mean i try to i have a patreon and everything but yeah. like that's not rent that's uh oh, you yeah. know i try not to think about that too much so yeah. as long as i acknowledge that i'm like in the very light red in the pink if it were sure uh that's sure. kind of disgusting but uh <laughs> you know if extended clip is in the pink and uh the art and sports cast is uh in the stink then i guess i'm doing okay <laughs> Love I think it. that should be the open. I think that's how we probably started out. Well, anyway, welcome to Mudville. I'm one of your hosts, Nolan Rabine. I'm Brody Stout. We went to see the Holdovers Thursday night, and that didn't work out. So neither of us we, have seen we that. We tried to go see the Holdovers. But we are talking about another Alexander Payne film today, Election from 1999. And with us to do so is a very special guest, the host of Extended Clip, one of my favorite film podcasts, as well as the recently launched Art and Sports podcast. That is Eddie Averill. And Eddie, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm I'm great. You know, I also tried and failed to see the holdovers. I wonder what your guys' obstacles were oh, versus man. mine. So we got on not in the car to this movie. <laughs> we yeah, no, for real. We we got on the train Thursday night uh, to go up to Times Square to see it. And both of the subways that we're able to take, we could 
take either the uh, two, three, or the four, five for any of the subway heads who are listening. <laughs> they were both well, real New York heads. Right away, will <laughs> acknowledge the fact that you guys are going from Brooklyn to Times Square. Well, I was about to say that's I what you do. You when could you not New waterboard York. that the... information out of me that we were going to go to Times Square to see this movie. But Nolan, <laughs> no, that's what you do in New York. You, whether you're in Staten Island, Brooklyn, or Queens, you go to Times Square to go see a show. <laughs> the, the, there, there are also closer theater. We could. I think we should have gone to Essex, but that also is beside the point the fact that there is no amc we couldn't get there in all of brooklyn is completely insane it is but yeah both of the trains were stopped Wait, isn't there one in downtown brooklyn no no that's, uh, that's alamo draft house no the one over by the like the brooklyn tower like right off of the brooklyn bridge hold on i don't think so no both trains were sat in the station and we I were can in- ask another brooklyn resident <laughs> that's yeah we hey Karis, is there an amc in brooklyn yeah, Williamsburg somewhere. Oh, that's, that's, what, uh, that's, that's what my fiance just told that's me. That's the well, other in part of Brooklyn somewhere. Well, we're, we're we can't not get in, there. We're not in L Brooklyn. That's <laughs> you guys aren't where, allowed to be in Williamsburg. No, no, that's that's L Brooklyn. We live in four or five Brooklyn. It's a very different L family. Brooklyn. <laughs> is that like a Latino thing? Like <laughs> <laughs> the uh, like no, it's like the uh, the side of Brooklyn that you can take like the F or the L or the fucking oh J the L train. Yeah, I thought you were then, like when they do the Hispanic Heritage Month in the NBA and have the jerseys that say like. <laughs> yeah, El Heat, Los Nets, yeah. Los Lakers, etc. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh it's it's completely separate part of the city. <laughs> like if I have a friend who lives in Bushwick that I mean, if you were driving it would take about fifteen minutes, twenty minutes to get to. By subway it takes an hour. You have to go back into Manhattan, come back around. I'm actually banned from Williamsburg <laughs> because I said L C D sound system was mid and they kicked me out. <laughs> said no more. Get yeah out. turned out some dipshit pulled the uh emergency brake at nevin's. uh nevin yeah, street nevin's. yeah that's what it was and neither brody and i had bought our tickets yet so we were just like you, you know you want to say fuck this on the way home brody spontaneously said you know what i've been wanting to watch lately one of my personal favorites is barry linden and awesome. when he said that it was just over that was that was the plan for the evening yeah so that. it's a good movie we really, walked, really, really good movie. We walked back to our apartment, and that was the rest of the night. So we didn't get to see the holdovers, but Brody lost his Barry Lyndon virginity. His Lyndon virginity. Yeah. Okay. Very fun time. Popped your berry cherry. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys couldn't see the holdover because of a combination of train hijinks and Barry Lyndon existing. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a very succinct way to put it. What was I your couldn't problem? go because I was very sleepy. Oh, that's not a the, real obstacle. I, I think that's fair. I've I've not gone to movies before because I was very sleepy. I did that I last get night. That. In fact, I yeah. I decided that I was too sleepy at noon, and it was a seven p.m. screening. <laughs> oh, thing. then absolutely no, not. No, it was actually I think it was a it was a two thirty screening or something like that. And I'm at still, noon, I was like, I'm sleepy. If you can't get yourself to be feeling it within like three hours, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> you need a sufficient enough time to get up and like get moving. Yeah, I mean, it's a 15-minute walk to the cinema, but uh, I'll take that excuse, sure. <laughs> Fair enough. It was also supposed to be Dune 2 day, but of course that got pushed back because of studio greed. Wait, that was supposed to release today or like a trailer or something? It was supposed to come out yesterday. Dune 2 is already made and ready to release? Yeah. When did Dune yeah. 1 come out? 2021. Like a, what? Yeah. Wait, they already have another Time one flies, of these things man. ready to go. Jesus, there's gonna be man. Dune three before you know it. I, man, 
can't keep up with all the dunes. I know. That Tim Chalmett, he really stays busy. I did see uh, The Killer today, though, so I got basically a free Smiths concert, and that was very nice. But you saw that one, too, recently, Eddie, right? Yeah, I saw that, actually. Like I was going to do a back-to-back seeing The Killer and The Holdovers back-to-back days at the same theater, and uh, The Killer is the only one that I actually went to. But, uh, yeah, I loved The Killer. That's my film of the year so far. I really want to see it. That looks really good. I'm still working out some of my thoughts on it. Like, it's still so fresh in my head. I j- it just, like, wrapped up a couple of hours ago. David Fincher, like, I was afraid he was in his flop era after Mank. Like, I, I don't know. Anytime any director slanders the great name of uh, Orson Welles, I feel like it's not a, a good sign for their career. But nice it turns out that was a uh, one-off. And, yeah, I was I was a very big fan of this one. Um, yeah, I mean, like I was, I was a little upset at some of the Orson Welles stuff in uh, that previous movie he did. But frankly, it's like Mank was a good man. We got to respect <laughs> Mank. I think we got to respect Michael Fassbender, or else he's going to shoot us in the head or put a quarter through your brain. That's what happened in X Men: First Class. Deep cut. Deep cut. I brought that up, Eddie. By the way, for context, last week, and Nolan was like, "What are you talking about?" He had never even heard of this movie. It's X Men First, First Class. Class. That's Nolan the one no where uh, Michael Fassbender's X Men character, or one of the other ones, has Holocaust trauma, right? It's he always had like that character always has Holocaust trauma, but that's the one mm. where yeah, he's got like he was. Uh, that's a how German he beats the kid. bad guy. Yeah, he puts a quarter through his head. It's awesome. It's kind of weird symbolically, but oh. I'm gonna just not even get into that. You know the half of it. That coin was like it meant something, and now I can't. Oh, it was the coin that the Nazi doctor made him learn to levitate stuff with, and then he put it through his oh, brain. Yeah, God, good that movie stuff. Sucked. The movie's great. Yeah, I, I watched that movie. Like <laughs> someone made me watch this. that movie on some like. Um, it was some like charity. Remember during COVID when everyone thought it was like really entertaining to like make other people watch them do stuff for money. Yeah, like that was like, oh, watch my stream and it'll raise money. And it's like you can just tell people to donate money. So <laughs> I, I went on some anything. stream and the guy was like, "You gotta watch X Men First Class with me on the stream. It's for it's for a good cause." And it's like I should have just given the money. Oh no, that movie's <laughs> just great. Cut out James the middle, McAvoy, Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Rose Byrne is in that movie. Yeah, good stuff. Those are just things that you're listing. Those aren't like <laughs> those aren't like reasons to Nicholas watch. Nicholas Holt, Zoe Kravitz, Caleb Landry Jones. I'll keep going. I'll just name names. I like Caleb Landry Jones. Do you, do you guys like Caleb Landry Jones's music? Does he have he has music? music? Yeah, he has he has a record that's like my friend Ethan's a very big fan of it. What is it? What what kind of music it's is like, it? It's like uh it's you know, it's twenty tens indie rock. It's very I guess it would be post punk influenced. I'd be um, into that. Kind of like lo fi ish, you know. Yeah. Does he know. like release it under his full name? Does he or does he have like a Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, and shit. like it was on a huh. reputable enough record label, like a cool record label. Damn. On on sacred bones, as my uh, fiance just uh, shouted into the <laughs> there you room. go. <laughs> we should look into this. You learn Man. something new every day. I knew Caleb Landry Jones best from uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, in which I just was... rewatched that. Yeah. What did you get out of it? Just this watching time? that scene where he where he <laughs> domed himself, uh, Caleb Landry domes, uh, <laughs> like two nights ago, and yeah, it's it's a rough scene to watch. That's like my least favorite part of his character is having to watch him go through that but uh it's it's an incredibly powerful scene and uh like pain, it's one of the most painful performances in the show he's 
he he's a bit one note as an actor, but I'm glad that Lynch grabbed him at the right moment to hit that one note as good as he could. Absolutely. Um, what did you get out of the return this time? Like that maybe you didn't before if if anything like i mean it's just a treasure trope i've seen it i was talking about this earlier as we were wrapping it up it's like i've seen it probably nine times now because it's like when it was coming out i would watch every episode like twice during the week in between the weekends you know like so it was like three times a week as i watched it and then showing it to people and then going back again and i just went back it's like at this point i'm not gonna like get too much more out of it it's more that it's like almost the bible and it's just like (laughs) it's a v 21st century piece of uh you know film slash tv whatever you want to call it art uh, I, I just feel like it's Lynch's grand statement about the dream of America that he knows had been rotten uh, for 40 years. I mean, you watch Blue Velvet and Eraserhead and it's like, oh, clearly both the industrial and the suburban sides of America are, are like rotten at their core. But he was like always still itching to go back to that mid-century American dream, the Mad Men world he grew up in kind of. And I feel like the return and maybe even Inland Empire, but more so the return or is the first time where he's really reckoning with the fact that uh, you can't go back like a regressive outlook is never going to get you anywhere, really. So the the attempt to change history in the finale of the return comes up a dead end. And uh, the only things that really come out positive in the return are the true uh like relationships that worked out over time whether it's the uh ed and norma stuff or you know uh bobby and shelly's tormented you know divorce over the years that you can imagine with their kid and i i I just feel like uh the difference between you know i don't know the those relationships and then the darker parts of the show uh just makes such a great statement about the way lynch sees the world and maybe revelations he's come to over the last 50 years of art sorry i went so long this is supposed to be like an election that that sounds awesome no that was an incredible answer god damn um i had like i want to see it now (laughs) i've never watched twin peaks but that you just sold me on it (laughs) personally i had like a very kind of weird experience with it where our other college uh, roommate was watching it at the time that the return was just about to end and yeah and i had, had never seen the show at, at the time and then i started watching like season one right like in that week before the final two episodes aired and of course like i binged the entire show in that week mm-hmm. so i had not gotten quite to the return yet but i think i was late in season two when um our friend seamus was was watching it and we have a very distinct memory of um he was watching it with his airpods in and we were both in the room just kind of like watching him watch it and then he kept saying to himself oh my god he's not gonna do it he's not gonna do it he's not gonna do it and then he like jumped up backwards and goes he did (laughs) did it." it i was like like what happened was he talking about the green hand guy punching bob to death he was talking about rewriting the entire uh oh okay the more thematically potent part i just like the the green hand bloke oh it's it's incredible i the fact that that works as well as it does like you know about the, the casting of that guy i don't oh so that's one of the great aspects of twin peaks uh the return is a 21st century piece of art is 
the online aspect of it, which you would think it's removed, but it is so online you wouldn't believe. One aspect of that is that he was found by uh, Lynch, and they, they don't, there's not like the definitive story anywhere, but you can put two and two together. You can find that guy on YouTube doing an impression video of him doing a cockney accent clearly it's the worst accent ever <laughs> that guy's american as fuck uh and he's just like a youtuber who made a funny video of him doing a cockney accent so lynch cast him in like maybe even it was frost who brought him in or whoever the casting director it was was like tapped into some real crazy shit because there's that and the other thing is the the kind of theme song for Ike the Spike. You know that hip hop beat that plays when yes. he kills people. Yeah, uh, that you can find on YouTube as cool West Coast hip hop beat uh, <laughs> from like uploaded like five years before Twin Peaks: The Return. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, That's and so the fact that like these pieces of the show were just like piecemealed from the internet is fucking insane. Maybe now that uh, Angelo Badalamenti passed away, he'll start using lo-fi hip-hop beats that you can study that slash can relax study to slash for relax to. wisteria. Um, lo-fi hip-hop beats for transcendental meditation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking to myself, your, your tweet actually prompted me to remember that incredible episode where cooper's doppelganger goes to get ray and he stumbles upon this like group of guys that are essentially ruled by whoever can win at arm wrestling the actor who plays uh jason Voorhees actually like the fact that he nobody had ever beaten him at arm wrestling is the reason that that he's in charge and it leads to just this long drawn out incredibly tense sequence with uh mr c arm wrestling against this like bald man that who has never lost it's just one of the most incredible things i've ever seen and i don't know if there's any other director in the world who could pull off something like that and like the thing about that show is you get something like that every single episode, whether it's the, yeah. you know, starting out in that secluded space with the man just staring into the box and then his girlfriend coming up and best job ever, by the way, the job market in New York is not like that at all. If, if something were to come up where I just got to like sit in a room and stare at a box, I would take that in a heartbeat. Oh, my God. Oh my god! What the hell happened, Mackley? He's dead. Eddie, I, I wanted to ask you today, just from your uh, personal perspective, you're our first West Coast guest. I know you're not there anymore, but uh, we've had quite a few New Yorkers on. We had our friend from London a couple weeks ago, but we haven't gotten the Los Angeles Dodgers fan perspective. Um, mm. And it's been a very tumultuous past few years for that organization. Uh, and that does include a, a World Series. So I just want to... Hey, does it? <laughs> so I want to get some of your thoughts just on the Dodgers' recent playoff struggles, um, what it's like to have rooted for that team for the past five years, and um, how you feel about them moving forward into 2024 and beyond. Well, firstly, I'd like to say that, you know, for the sake of inclusion of different perspectives and diversity, I think it's really brave that you would have uh, someone who wants to talk about, like, the Dodgers and the Lakers on a podcast. Oh, yeah. We're, we're really, um, you know, we're trying to give the small market some some visibility. <laughs> yeah. 
Look, I gotta be honest, the uh, COVID ring was Mickey Mouse, and I say that as a guy who thinks that the Lakers bubble ring was real. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a weird dynamic that I have here. The Dodgers were my first love, and I don't like baseball nearly as much as I did when I was fucking nine, you know? Uh, like, I, I just, baseball's lower on the totem pole realistically for me, and so it comes to the point where I pretty much watch, you know... And maybe 20 Dodger games in the regular season, and then I'll watch the playoffs, and I'll have a loose understanding of what's going on in the league for the most part. Because honestly, you got to pick your spots if you want to be like a sports guy and like have a life and a job and a wife and like art too. Like it's <laughs> that's too many you things. Can't, you can't. You get, like, yeah, three like I'm not. I, I'm, <laughs> like, <laughs> I liked soccer in college, and it's sick. But like. No, dude, I'm not going to get up at 6 a.m. to, to watch, watch Premier League. It's you know? so hard to watch. Uh, especially on the soccer. East Coast, I would be up at like 3, yeah. I guess. Or no, it would no, be 6. No, okay. it's harder on the West Coast. But Yeah, it was harder on the West yeah. Coast. Yeah, th That's the only thing that's better for sports viewing on the West Coast. Uh, or on the East Coast, rather. Yes, is you uh, European soccer. Because Premier League, fucking yeah. watching the Lakers and Dodgers start games at 10 p.m. out here fucking sucks. Yes. I tell you what. Um, but anyway back to the Dodgers in particular it's like it's a complicated relationship because it's the team I have the most nostalgia for and the team that no matter how removed I can make myself they will bring me back like nothing uh truly Pacino Godfather 3 style just when I thought I was out pull me back in <laughs> it's it's really bad because I like try to disavow it even because you know it, they became what I hated about sports it's like I grew up and, uh, you know, you guys are Yankee fans, but I grew up hating the Yankees. They always had the biggest payroll. Uh, and the Dodgers were a bit scrappier in the early to mid-2000s when I was growing up paying more attention to them. Fun teams, uh, yeah. And Never won like anything, they, but fun. <laughs> no, they were fun. They were just a fun team that, like, barely sometimes scraped into the playoffs, sometimes didn't. Uh, but then now they have this run of having the highest payroll and, like, the best roster and winning 100 games a year but just absolutely eating dick in the playoffs. And it's year just like, <laughs> yeah, it's devastating to the point where this year I didn't watch a single fucking inning of Dodger baseball. That's, this is the first time I've ever said this. I, I can't even admit this to like my uncles or anyone, but <laughs> I will admit to you guys here on the Mudville pod. I watched the other playoff series. Oh my God. Uh, I did not watch your way inning. to not watch the Dodgers. <laughs> I went out of my way to not watch a single inning of Dodgers playoff baseball. And what do you think fucking happened? Kershaw gave up what six in the first that game? Like yeah, yeah game of one. course, of course. I'm done. I you know what? Maybe this is maybe this is my therapeutic Come exercise where I'm actually denouncing uh, Dodgerism. And uh, <laughs> I think that the stadium is racist. It kicked out all the Mexicans from Chavez Ravine. And I no longer like them. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We did not have no, you I can't on go here. That far. To, 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 <laughs> I was going to say close. it's getting there. It's getting there. We we didn't bring you on with the uh, the intention to make you renounce your fandom. But hey, man, you do you. <laughs> if this is what the uh, if this is the push it took, man, that wasn't a big push. So <laughs> it, it really you wasn't. You edge. asked me about yeah. the Dodgers. Yeah, you didn't even like, say I'm like, fucking done. <laughs> feel that every year, you know, yeah. and I probably say something along those lines every year. But this is the first year I genuinely like went out of my way to not watch an inning of Dodgers playoff baseball. Yeah, dude, we gave him a little nudge, and you like <laughs> you rolled down the hill like in fucking hot rod. Um, yeah. 
but you're basically describing my own relationship with both the Yankees and also with Jets. Like, yeah. I'm nowhere close to actually denouncing my my Yankees fanhood. But you, just, that that being said, you do it every year. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. <laughs> but just last week, I did throw all of my New York Jets merchandise into the dumpster when I thought they were going to lose that game to the Giants. So I completely did, understand. Did you where take you're at. that Jets blanket behind you out of the dumpster? Or I did, did. You get a new one. I did, but I I actually washed it and I got a new one as well because I got this for. free so i can just kind of get one like once a week with my job <laughs> so i'm just gonna have like did you get so rid of that jets blank no it's oh, right there here it is yeah, okay. yeah it's right there <laughs> the, i think that what i really like getting at about sports is really exemplified there of you the the depraved degeneracy of throwing <laughs> a blanket in the fucking dumpster and then taking it out <laughs> and washing like, it well and all right <laughs> sitting it on your couch again and sitting on it like yeah. just because it has a team's logo is that's that's what we do it's amazing it i'm built for this shit that's you know what i i don't know if you're built to be a jets fan if that's what it took for you to denounce the jets but that's that's not an easy life that you've chosen Bro, though, but that feels accumulative it's, though. It's, that's it's like true, it's true. you know but i was gonna say my my own uh yankee fandom i honestly i made a point to we're at very different places in our fandom i made a point to watch every single game down the stretch um of the yankees this season and like i i always watch you know every game of the year um but this year i i specifically was like no i'm gonna sit there and watch this because i was like you know what when they start winning again it's gonna feel so much better than like than what i'm experiencing right now and i'm like i want to remember i want to be one of those fans who's like i remember when billy mckinney and franchi cordero were our right field options and like yeah. you know i want to have oh, that. i'm gonna be like that about <laughs> yeah. the 2000s failing dodgers that's like, yeah I'm fair enough <laughs> already like that about eric gagne's streak <laughs> oh my god eric gagne man brody i will commend you for that you did watch a lot of very pointless baseball I um i, I remember saying <laughs> I think this was back in like late July or so. I remember saying to you, I think I'm out on this year's Yankees team. And you said to me, don't say that because I'm going to hold it over you when they start winning and then you try to come back. And I was like, I know you are, but I still I'm will. at the place where I think this team is cooked, and I was right. That that oh, team they, was they were cooked. absolutely cooked. But yeah. you still gotta you gotta you know you gotta mm-hmm. leave your uh, you gotta leave your skin in the game. Can't, it's true. You can't go out and then come back. Well, yeah. You, how does it feel? You guys are gonna be like the new angels with just wasting. Oh dear God! Judge. Don't you fucking I even don't say think that's that. true. That's not. I, that's not fair. I, I would certainly <laughs> push back that on that a little bit or a lot, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, mostly they, out of no, desperation. I, I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> because have you guys ever been to an Angels game? Or I want to go, Stadium? but no, never have. No, but oh, I did man. almost just it is go depressing. on a whole tangent about depressing. the Angels. <laughs> I know. It's, it's fucking depressing, yeah. dude. Like, oh my God. I That was one of the last things I did in LA, actually. Uh, I was out of work, and my fiance was working, and I was bored, and I was like, wait, how much would it cost to go see Shohei today? They're playing a day game. And I realized, oh, I've never been to Angel Stadium since I've been an adult. I went, like, as a kid a couple times. So I drove myself down there, got, like, an $8 seat, uh, and watched Shohei hit a home, home run. And, you know, go one for four. Uh, but, yeah, it was, like, an $8 seat field level. Legit. Oh like, it was ridiculous. Man. It was, like, hot. it was the furthest row back of field level, but That's nobody still gave field shit. Level, yeah. So you just go way down, you know? Eight bucks in and, Yankee uh, Stadium will put you in the 400 it was like, level. <laughs> that stadium was 
it, well, it was like summer camp kids. There was a lot of children, oh but other than God. that, it was just like people that looked defeated. Oh, it was sad. so sad. Man, it was man, like that's 105 amazing. degrees in Anaheim, the oh, well, sun beating too. down on you, and you're oh, like, God. well, we do have two of the best players I've ever seen in my life. That's the thing. Oh, so I guess we should keep going to these games. You but... have to go see them when they're there. Oh, like, God. you know, yeah. I feel, feel hey, horrible to be around forever, and everybody knew that. Like, <laughs> you know, always. I and, would say I feel horrible for those people, but I really don't. Like Angels and Clippers fans get no sympathy from me. Oh, well, Clippers fans are. That, that's, do they even exist? Because like I always like to say that. Well, Nets fans yeah, the, don't exist. the writer strikes going on, like, so they're all at Clippers games. <laughs> that's that's who's Clippers fans is TV writers. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but I always like to say because we live right near the Barclays Center, so I always like to say there's no real Nets fans. I actually I lived with two Nets fans right before. You know, friends of mine, or well, a friend of mine from college, friend and his friend from home who became friends of mine. You get the idea. Uh, but they were true Nets fans. They were friends of the Jersey Nets when they were, you know, in Jersey, and then they they have like old, you know, Jason Kidd shit from when they were little and all these things. Um, and now they're like big time Brooklyn Nets fans. And I was always like, you guys realize you're it, right? Like, you have no backup. Like, it's just the two of you. <laughs> like, if if the Nets were still in Jersey, I would be pretty inclined to like make them my East team moving out here. Sure. Despite being like walking distance from where the Sixers play. I just I can't do it with the Sixers. The, uh, but I like, I, I, I like going Sixers. into Jersey. You know, I've only lived here for like two months, but it's sick to go yeah, into you'll, Jersey. You'll get like, over it quick. I, well, <laughs> Nobody I say that relatively, Jersey. just to like, yeah. it's, hey, look, you guys are fucking New Yorkers, you know. Yeah, I'm dating I'm not a girl from Jersey. From I, she, I, I've gotten accustomed to Jersey at this point, <laughs> and it's still, you know, you, you have to get used to it. But I would just say that I would be, if, if I'm going to like pick a tri-state area team since I'm, you know, whatever, an hour and a half train ride from any of the Atlantic Conference teams other than Boston. Right. Uh, it's like, yeah, I would probably go with the Nets if they were still in Jersey, but they're not. And they're the they're the hipster team in Brooklyn. They're listening to MGMT and drinking <laughs> Paps Blue Ribbon. Dude, I, I got it got into a Nets game. I got like two tickets for like they're so cheap. Six dollars. I went total. to I went Are to you the, wait, really? Do, do, yeah, you remember, dude, well, do you remember the series against the crazy. Bucks? Hold on. Do you remember the series against the Bucks, the playoff series a couple years ago? The yeah. the Nets Bucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was yeah, yeah. like an awesome series. I went to two games. I went to game two and game five for a combined total of like ninety six dollars. For like lower lower bowl tickets combined for two games. Like Do you know how much it would cost ridiculous. to see last year the Lakers when they were two and ten play the Kings? Like, oh my god. Uh, at the cheapest, a hundred dollars for nosebleeds. Oh my one God. That's the next anything where you can actually see the game two fifty to three. You you like, can't get into the garden for less than like two hundred bucks right now. Yeah. It's like not possible. no Laker games are ridiculous, dude. It's, That's yeah. why I went to I went to like three Laker games over the last six years, maybe. But uh, and two of them were gifts. I bought the tickets for one. You know, yeah, it's, it's man. rough. That's why I'm. That's why I'm trying to like. I wish. Uh, the Nets were still in Jersey because I'd rather take a train yeah. out there than fucking go see a Sixers game. Yeah, it's doable. Yeah, like I was saying though, I did get in. The, this was probably like two years ago at, at this point. I'm an Oklahoma City fan, so this was back yeah. when when they were like you know in dead last, and I went to go see uh, a game in Brooklyn. This was when they had Harden and Durant. Kyrie wasn't there yet. I don't believe. Durant wasn't playing, but Harden was, uh, and I actually got like the best game possible because like Shea went for thirty and eleven or something. Like Lou Dort, I think got twenty, and then uh, Josh Giddy got double double, and they scored like a hundred and thirty points, and it was like probably a top. Didn't three we game. go to that game? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I forgot about that. That was fun, man. SGA, that was. 
that was the first time well obviously i'd seen him in person but i was like this guy is special (laughs) sga is next level i love SGA. i mean he had that one awful game against denver but otherwise he's looked pretty next level this year that was a really bad game against denver yeah last night the one before it he was like fucking 40 points with only two free throw attempts like the dude's ridiculous yeah Yeah. that's insane absolutely like it's like jalen brunson i think on like opening night or something or maybe one of those early games but he had like 38 points and had not gone to the line yet and i was like this guy This guy's a stud. Well, like, yeah, because last year he was like top 10 in free throw rate. And so that was kind of my concern with him. And uh, I, I talked about this on one of my other podcasts, so I'll make it quick, the repetition. But him <laughs> and Reeves both, it was like, well, if they don't get to the line, are they still going to be good this year? And with SGA, it's yes. And with Reeves, it's no. <laughs> yeah, SGA, like I, I remember actually from that game thinking he's so good at like using defenders momentum against them like every time he got got into the paint he would like draw a fake that he could just easily turn into a foul and like he ended up scoring more often than not on those plays anyway and like this was when he went when he was basically the only player on the team like giddy hadn't fully developed he was still in his rookie year like dort was still basically a little bit better version of Andre Roberson. He's come a long way, too. And now, of course, they've got, like, Chet, Uzman, Jang, both of the Jalen Williams. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. Jalen Williams. And then Cason Wallace, too, has looked just insane this year. Um, I wanted to actually go off a little bit about last night's game. You know, I, I could be extra petty about it. The fact that that Golden State needed a referee masterclass to beat the youngest team in the league without Shea, 141 to 139. I could say something about that, but instead I will point to how efficiently uh, the offense ran. Lou Dort shot six for six from three, Chet for 20, and Chet's defense. I mean, it's it's what happened with the refs because I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, look, let me. Actually, well, there's multiple things. There's multiple things. I wanted to say one of them was, I mean, look, you watch the Thunder broadcast and then you flip over the GSW broadcast and it's uh, night and day and how they describe of it. Of course, but yeah. Draymond's a guy who's going to be top three in the league in technicals every year, no matter what, right? But how does he not get teed up last night when he literally hold like he holds up uh, free throws uh, like between free throws to touch the ref and talk to him for forty five <laughs> seconds like God. that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Then my only counter that to all of the nonsense on Golden State side is that Giddy did touch the net also on the goaltend mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's supposed to be then a jump ball and that got missed too so it's like <sighs> everyone loses on that but regardless the ref show leading up to that goaltend was ridiculous yeah that and then the fact I, I do think Draymond's hand might have even pushed Giddy's into the net like not to you know make an excuse for it but the fact that like Draymond just whacked the rim like yeah wait so just to be clear on this play because i just pulled it punched the rim like it was jordan fucking pool are you saying that (laughs) chet gets called for goaltending on this play no the it's saying that the basket counted because it it shouldn't have counted because draymond hit the rim while it was still going in yeah um but the basket counted supposedly either he didn't interfere or giddy touched the net too or it just like wasn't enough to overturn the call basically it seemed to me that the call was we all saw him touch the rim but how sick would it have been if he didn't (laughs) 
yeah. and I, I which know, I mean, great. like game winners are cool, but when you deflate them with a five minute review, it doesn't really work like that. Right, you exactly. Have to just be right, you know. And like, if you're not going to review it, then fine. <laughs> yeah. I know that's not how the rules work, but like, if there wasn't a review, then it's like fine. Let Steph hit the game winner. the The Mickey Mouse in season tournament is all about the Warriors anyway. I'm sure you know. We'll see. It's like this is going to be there. If if you're a better, I would say bet the Warriors for the in season tournament because it's so fake Can, that Disney's going to have either the Warriors or the Lakers win it. And I said that as a Lakers fan who. <laughs> I accept all charity as a like, <laughs> you kind of have to whatever the refs and Disney wants to give me. I'll yeah. take. I yeah. love it. I was gonna say, can we talk about this in season? Because it's, it's I it's Calvin Ball. It's fake as hell, and also it is the <laughs> ugliest, ugliest. The courts like are it's the, okay. The courts They're are make awful. you go blind. The jerseys are so bad. It's all like the design of everything is terrible. And then you have the whole idea that like this. So the reason that they're, they're even doing this is to try to get like stars interested in like early season games or whatever. Right. Like the winners get 500,000. I think like each, each player on the winning team gets $500,000. So like James Harden is like the, the poster child for why this has to exist. Right. Cause he doesn't give a shit about anything ever. So they're like, Hey, we're going to do this in season. Then you're going to play. And then it's going to be great. If he doesn't play until like the finals and the six or the, excuse me, and the Clippers make it, and then they somehow win this championship, and he plays nothing except the championship game, does he still get the 500000 Because you still have the same problem. Probably. <laughs> I, I, God, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know why, why they didn't come up with a better name for it than NBA in-season tournament. I mean, like, it's Well, the NBA Cup is the trophy. That's the yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, So they're kind of trying to jockey <laughs> off like the FA Cup, I guess, right. or the, the Champions League kind of thing. Yeah. Like. But yeah, it doesn't really March work because the no, FA no, no. Cup March doesn't Madness. really... They're trying yeah, to... T- they're copying March Madness. They're trying to... Well, they yeah, realize, yeah. like, first of all, we're competing with football. And also, people love March Madness when that's on. That's the biggest time basketball is, you know, or the biggest, like, stage that basketball gets in the country. So let's just rip it off. And it's not working. And also, like, all these games... Like it yeah, doesn't work. March Madness and, like, the FA Cup in England both are predicated on the idea that a low class team can upset one of the great programs right. in the country it's, and like regular so what are you gonna games. get the blazers <laughs> like, beating the suns big fucking deal right. and yeah. then also that could happen on any given night anyway and it doesn't exactly. matter they don't yeah. give a they shit play each like, other every day it's like, this is not every week yeah the every single game in this tournament and by the way the final is in like mid-december or something or like i think it's like the first week of december um so it's only like a month long and also the, like so if it early. Was, if it was like all season, like then you might have like, oh, that's kind of interesting or whatever, because it's like. So, but there's two things that need to happen with this. One, they need to find a way to actually make the games either not count, like be something completely different from the regular season, or it all needs to count because the championship game is not counted towards your 82 game record, but every other game yeah. involved is. So that's already like no one's going to want to play in this championship game. the elimination ones leading up game. to it they do count. count as regular yes. season games? Yes, and the championship so do they, like, doesn't cancel count. cancel out other games or some teams are playing 84 I games? I know you can only play so many extra games. Exactly. That's the thing. I think like that they have... That's uh, what I mean by yes. Calvin Ball. And like, it's... well. <laughs> so I think like, I know that the, the championship doesn't count and everything else does. I know that for a fact. I think that stadiums are like reserved and like those games are not scheduled yet for like where the championship and the semis and like whatever where that's all going to be played i don't think they have it scheduled out yet um but it's still really stupid and then 
Um, yeah, it's perfect for fucking Vegas. Too. Have you guys ever been too. to Vegas? Yeah, I have not. when I was a little kid. Vegas I have not is been the most despicable <laughs> place in America. Of and course it is. I it's know like that Atlantic it City, but somehow. And also, have you guys ever been to a desert in the winter? <laughs> uh, no. It is. I've done Joshua Tree. All right. I, I don't know what you guys' listenership is like, but well, let's just say I used to live a more regrettable lifestyle in college. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's fine. In the winter. In the winter, I did a psychedelic drug in the desert. Did you come up with Hotel California right afterwards? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, (laughs) But, dude, being in the desert in winter is like hell. Like, how are people going out to go see the NBA Cup at fucking 10 p.m. to midnight or whatever? And it's going to be 30 degrees out. And they're like, come to Vegas. Beautiful Vegas. How fun is Vegas? How stupid that marketing is. Summer League also is stupid for that because... You go to Summer League, it's 130 degrees That's the thing. all day. You can't win. That was That's, the worst part. It was off. This is Vegas why I don't like the Southwest in general. <laughs> it's like, it's the too hot or it's The only place that comes freezing. close to the hell of Vegas is fucking Worcester, Massachusetts. That's the only American city that I've been in that I would say I would, is close to as bad as Vegas. I would put out... Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, personally. Oh, fuck you. Charleston rules. <laughs> Charleston's awful. <laughs> That's, no, we, we dude, went Charleston through Charleston when I was a little kid, and we, we did not did not enjoy also oh what, you were a little yeah, kid you're not gonna thing? understand the the history and the beauty that's probably <laughs> fair although maybe i'd appreciate it more now but we were also there during a fucking tropical storm and we were there for one night and i had like, uh, like well, ordering dinosaur oh. chicken nuggets from the fucking room service or something oh, and i that's, was like that's this such is a so unfair sad. estimation no it's then, terrible then i would say like san antonio is terrible because i've only stayed in a hotel there but i know that's unfair like i might see <laughs> some i might get some good barbecue and see some big old women <laughs> then that's the board that's the uh the baseline for a nice city <laughs> well for san antonio that's a that's, that's a classic san antonio visit i think that's right their there. tourism ad actually <laughs> i've only been to san antonio myself once i was there for like a month and it was during covid so like i couldn't really see any of the cool stuff there and i had a pretty similar experience with niagara falls where i went when the canadian border was completely shut down so I just got the, like, American side of that. So I completely understand that, like, I don't know, Brody, that, that might have, like, thrown off your experience of Charleston or whatever. Possible. I, I have very strong feelings about Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, well. I'm, gonna... I'm sorry that I said fuck you. I don't mean it. That's, you, know, you know what? It's rude. It's okay. It's rude. Can, it's I, okay. can we all agree that Richmond, Virginia is terrible? I've never been. Sure. I've never been, but I know one person that I'm friends with there. But I bet they don't like it. So I, I would assume. say that <laughs> it seems yeah. fine to me. That's uh, that's yeah. not a. It, it's the it's the fateland of the Confederacy or the old land of uh, the old capital uh, or something. Uh, all right, yeah, no, and it's let's now do just it. an industrial wasteland. Terrible. Fuck you, Richmond, <laughs> from us here at there the Mudville Podcast. We're all good with that. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break. We will be right back discussing the 2006 film Election from Johnny Toe. Just kidding. We're talking about the 1999 film Election from Alexander Payne. Misdirection. We'll be back soon. We'll be right back. Oh, hi, Tracy. Who put you up to this? What do you mean? You just woke up this morning and suddenly decided to run for president? No. Um, No, I I just thought that... uh, Thought what? Well, I was talking to Mr. McAllister about my leg and how I still want to do something for the school. So Mr. McAllister asked you to run? Well... Um, I, I talked to him and everything, but he just said that he thought it would be a good idea and how there's all different kinds of fruits and, um, and well, it's nothing against you, Tracy. I mean, you're the best. 
Uh, I, I just thought... Uh... Okay. You're on, Mr. Popular. And we are back. It's Mudville, and we're talking about a classic. If you're a first-time listener, we are a podcast about baseball and cinema. But baseball <laughs> just ended last week. So now it's time to get into some cinema. We're here to watch movies and kick ass, and we're all out of ass. <laughs> we're talking about 1999's Election by Alexander Payne, who has a new film out in theaters, The Holdovers. This one stars Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon, Chris Klein, and Jessica Campbell, among others. This is a film in which uh, the titular election refers to the Student Government Association, which the acronym is SGA, so I like that, <laughs> in which Tracy Flick is running for president unopposed, much to the chagrin of her teacher, Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick. Tracy is the ultimate type A, goody two-shoes, Harvard early admission debate team type, with the one noteworthy exception of the illegal relationship she had with Dave, a middle-aged teacher who insists that he and Tracy are really in love. Excellent casting here, I think, both for Reese Witherspoon, but especially Matthew Broderick. Uh, I think to see Ferris Bueller as this like late 30s loser who takes out his petty grudges on school children and manipulates everybody in, in his life. I was not expecting that from that character in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a great cautionary tale about why you shouldn't be a teacher if you're a certain so, type of person. Well, that's, it's basically so the I reason am, why I'm not a teacher. I <laughs> am a teacher. So actually, I was so, going to say, um, well, I'm a substitute, but I, I've been working okay. in a high school, like an all girls high school in the city, and like this type of character is not like too far off. But at the same time, like the very like active go getter or whatever. But yeah. this still seems very like era locked in the fucking '90s. <laughs> like I don't think anything like this is what's going on now like when this first started i was like oh this is gonna be a fun little movie and then they had the whole thing like very quickly where you realize that she's you know fucking the teacher and i'm like oh my god okay all right here we go yeah <laughs> like they really throw that at you hard but that yeah. like hard oh my cut god to the, the shot of the face. teacher's face yeah. as he delivers that line which yeah. we probably won't repeat on the podcast I'd it's imagine. fine but I think he even plays this role a little bit similar to Ferris Bueller, but just like a lot less cool, sort of in the sense that I could picture this character being Ferris yeah. like 15 years down the road. When I was going to say the exact same thing. When, I like, think that's why they used Matthew Broderick. Oh, 100%. This, like. Yeah, where you can just like see that, that this would be Ferris Bueller like after his luck has, has run out and he's just like beaten down by life. Um, anyways, Jim hatches a plan to find a ringer to run in the election against Tracy, and he finds the perfect candidate, Paul Metzler, the, truly the sweetest person who's ever lived. You Betzler. <laughs> Vote Paul Metzler. <laughs> Quarterback of the football team, super popular, broke his leg so he can't play, and he's also got a lot of free time. airhead on the face of the earth. Yeah, only weighed down by the fact that he is incredibly stupid. Um, but like a sweet earnest stupid. Like yeah. it's like it's it's adorable how dumb he is. <laughs> the plan- well, he's stupid in the prototypical Alexander Payne character way. I mean, this movie 
really goes right into the typical rhythms of his uh work right from that first shot uh like right after that first shot of the sprinklers and you get that uh music that contrasts uh broderick's daily rhythms versus reese reese witherspoon's daily rhythms right. but the way that he treats a typical midwestern kind of dumb guy uh with a heart of gold is on full display here where people have said that he's too mean to these characters and he treats them too stupidly and uh portrays them too stupidly rather but you know, I, I, I think there's always uh, humanism to it and a reality to it and kind of, uh, you know, pain gets into a lot of kind of deep shame in a lot of his main characters. So I, I, I feel like it's only fair to portray uh, the other typical Midwesterners the way he does with Paul Metzler, who's like the prototypical Letterman, you know, like, starting yeah, quarterback. Jockey, yeah. Yeah, he's, like he's a typical kid. Chad of the high school, you know, but and not, uh, not Payne bully, obviously though, has which, resentment yeah. toward that, but he also sees how great of a guy he is, right. too. That and that that's like the perfect balance of the way that Alexander Payne de- depicts Midwestern Americans. Like they, these characters, like it's just so brutal, like watching their lives just completely fall apart. Well, the adults, at least, but watching everything just completely fall apart. And it's extremely unapologetic towards them and that they're, it just like keeps getting worse. There's no redemption. It just all keeps on sp- every chance that things could turn around even slightly. It's just like it doubles down and makes everything 10 times worse. You, you want so badly just to be like, oh, just do the right thing. And then you're like, mm, actually, maybe don't because it's like this is you haven't earned doing the right thing. This movie like really juggles like so many characters and it really maintains that perfect balance, like especially towards the uh second act i think when the election itself like almost goes into the background a bit and the movie becomes more about um matthew broderick's life just completely falling apart he starts cheating on his wife with the neighbor linda who then betrays him uh he gets a black eye his reputation in front of his students is completely ruined for a while it it looks like jim's plan is going to work paul's campaign seems pretty popular and it seems like uh, he's on the path to an easy victory but wait a wrench gets thrown in everyone's plan when tammy metzler paul's sister loses the girl she's hopelessly in love with lisa flanagan who insists she's not really like that they ain't about that life if you know what i mean the breakup if that's what you want to call it does not go well and lisa responds by fucking tammy's brother who is of course paul She's well, st- to be more specific, sucking tanks. Yeah, no, but they end up together for a while. But <laughs> he has that, that narration where he goes, me and Tammy, every, or Tammy, Lisa, everything was going great. We would hang out at school, and then we'd go home to fuck and... Have a jacuzzi. That's, uh, in the jacuzzi, that's it. That's awesome. <laughs> she starts managing Paul's presidential campaign, and uh, in response, Tammy decides to join the race. Eddie, I was actually going to ask you as well, just maybe I was uh, reading too much into this. Did you feel like that shot of Tammy like looking out sort of into the like power plant was a nod to uh, Antonioni? It's funny that you say that because uh, it just reminded me a lot of, you know, mid-century art cinema in general and the way that someone like Antonioni or Ozu would use power lines and factories and stuff like that but yeah antonioni in red desert or ozu in the only sun 
or uh, even in, I think, late spring has a setup like that with those kind of smokestacks. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a great little poetic moment, and I know that Payne has uh, talked about some of his influences from the art house side of things. Uh, I know Mizoguchi is an influence of his. Uh, he talked about that in terms of, I think, on downsizing, like the the scenes on the boat being influenced by Mizoguchi. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that was very conscientiously throwing back to a mid-century art house style and that that setup of her with the uh, the power lines and then eventually the uh, girls' school soccer team. That one specifically threw out very like Red Desert vibes to me. Oh, totally. So the election then becomes between Tracy Flick, Paul Metzler, and Tammy Metzler. <laughs> she the, gives a very inspired speech. They all give their campaign speeches at a pep rally in the gym. Uh, I think this might be the best scene in the movie. So good. Tracy gives her basic valedictorian speech. Like um, me, and we're all going to be together, and I'm going to listen you, to the students. <laughs> like, you can call it what it is, Clinton-esque. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Paul goes up and reads his entire speech like it's just a single word i was dying <laughs> <Puts> his, <laughs> laughing so hard he's like puts his for me and everybody was gonna get along great and i think that i've earned the right to be your president thank you so much for having me and everything and everything thank you so much he just it's like a the way smile. that christopher walken christopher walken removes all the punctuation from his script <laughs> uh, and kind of improvs like the way does what he, he wants his beats and stuff yeah in uh, stuff but yeah he does that in a way that he just is like full steam at head for the entire paragraph he puts his head down and he, he like recites it like he's being punished and then everybody boos tammy uh, until she stuns the world and starts her speech with who cares about this stupid election who cares about this stupid election do you really think it's going to change anything around here make one single person smarter or happier or nicer uh, she rightfully points out that like none of it really matters except for the person who's actually elected who just wants to throw it to their college applications and have it be one more thing on their high school transcript. And she says, why not vote for her? Because she doesn't actually care and she'll dismantle the student government so no one ever has to sit through one of these stupid assemblies ever again. It's awesome. This draws a huge round of applause and Tammy is promptly suspended for three days. And then My this favorite thing about the pep rally is there's a kid running unopposed for vice principal and he is a disabled child in a wheelchair and it's treated with care and respect but then you have to think back to the fact that tracy flick was originally un running unopposed until broderick said something <laughs> right and the equivocation that he's drawing in the way that people treat the men the developmentally disabled kid and tracy flick uh being basically the same like, just <laughs> let them have this election uh, is insane um, or it's also just like you know apathetic yeah no it's kids, complete like, cruelty it's, it's yeah. Let them have this because it's the only thing in their life. Right. And it's just. Well, they keep on like using that, like the through line from like Dave in the beginning where he's like, truly great people. They have to, you know, people with your condition or whatever, they live lonely lives or something like, cause you know, there's, there's no like minds among geniuses or whatever. And it's like, it's so funny that she just buys into that. And she's like, you're right. I am great. <laughs> she's like, this is me. Yeah. And you know, like this is my time. <laughs> like, 
And they just like appease her basically because it would be more of an inconvenience to not have her <laughs> in this position it's, than it yeah. would be because she's just going to be like loud and annoying anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it's really like at this point that I think the movie starts becoming like more about Jim's life just completely falling apart. Right. And then that's just very entertaining to watch in its own right. I also thought it was really funny how the president was like the CIA with her like, you know, Tammy's <laughs> spitting out all this like anti-establishment rhetoric and then they're like we have to do something we need to get her out of this race they all love that like they like there's a lot of subversive element here that's what they say about her like (laughs) suspend her (laughs) get her out of here out of the public eye I feel like some of the like late 90s political metaphors, I hope that they aren't somewhat lost on me. You know, like you said, Eddie, like uh, Tracy Flick is very like Clinton-esque and you get the scandals that happen in the movie like are probably in some way, you know, inspired by the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Like, I mean, like it's, it <laughs> yeah. certainly isn't like one to one, you know, at, at one point um, Tracy Flick tears down and all of Paul's posters because he has such strong momentum in the election and there becomes this huge like investigation into who did it and then it ends with uh, Tammy actually confessing in a move that Tracy was left confused by. I find like one of the most revealing moments I think about Tracy's character is her response in that moment where like Tammy has confessed and like she's off the hook and Jim tells her, okay, you're free to go. Go ahead. And she's still... Day or whatever. Yeah, and she still chooses to, like, yell at Tammy for yeah. it and, like, act like she's so outraged over this thing that, like, she did. And that only, like, one of the posters that was actually torn down was hers and, like, the other 20 were all Paul's. Like, I just find that specific act of, like... Yeah, it's uh, very, like... You manipulation. Know, it's I find that so she, strong. Like, yeah, how she... Yeah. Like, when she could get in trouble for it, too, she's, like, cry- like she's offering, like, all these other names up. She's like, I think it was them and, like, all these things and, you know, deflecting. And then there's the moment where she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get away with this. And then she immediately flips back to being vindictive. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. And that's the thing, too. It's very easy to ascribe a lot of these things to, like, modern-day politics. But, yeah, this is all, you know, obviously it's from the 90s. So it's like, like it would be satirizing an election that we were not alive for if it was at all, which I honestly don't know. But sure. <laughs> Like, I don't know what Mondale was up to. But. Well, I think it's I think it's more about taking the temperature of American culture at the time and not really ascribing it to any specific election. That's why the Clinton parallels are invocated. Like, right. you know, Hillary as a public speaker at this time, obviously in in like a public go-getter as the former first lady at the time. Right. Or I guess right, end right, of right. her run as the first lady at the time, uh, as well as Clinton uh, Bill's scandals uh, inform uh the character but also it's just in general like you could think about other american films from the late 90s basically the moments leading up to 9-11 and the general comfort and complacency of neoliberal america pre-9-11 and uh the kind of like unrest and complacency going hand in hand uh and this film i think is a great example of that where it's like you have your typical american stereotypes and people are pretty content with them but of course there's going to be subversive elements that want to buck the trend because they've had enough of it at this point at the end of history moment you know it's just like a american (laughs) beauty fight club etc cool yeah i feel like like there are just like so many little like minute details that pain 
is so like smart in how he handles them. For example, like you see Tracy Flick's mother for one scene and it just immediately all makes sense. Like she says that line like, well, maybe you would have won if you had taken like some of my ideas. But of course, we didn't see any of her ideas or even like hear any part of her like process in in, uh, Tracy's campaign. But just that line like speaks volumes about like she is, how she is, the way she is (laughs) and and why Tracy is the way that uh, Tracy is too. Like that's what I mean. Like how, how Tracy's become. Yeah. Like Like, that that created, I think at least for me, a lot of like empathy for that character to understand a bit more of like where she came from. And she's not just kind of this like insane (laughs) spitfire, like trying to do everything at once. Right. Something else that, uh, or actually, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I have, I have two pieces of trivia that I wanted, that I wrote down, that I wanted to say that I forgot at, up top before we get into the plot. Oh yeah, and I know I'm going to forget them on any kind of wrap up thing. So one, did you know that this is Obama's favorite movie about politics? That's really funny. That kind of tracks. I believe. Yeah. It. Man. Uh, and number two, did you know that Matthew Broderick killed someone and uh, was charged for vehicular manslaughter? Yes, and got I did it know downgraded. That. Yeah, that's crazy. It that is. is wild. I think was it a drunk driving accident or was it in just Ireland? In car? That's right, in Ireland. I knew. I that think too. he was like, yeah. well, in Ireland driving. you're supposed to drive drunk. That's so. <laughs> you're, you. You get pulled over to check if you've been drinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you haven't, sir, please step out of the car. We have to go to the bar. Um, got it down to nuts. careless driving for a hundred seventy-five dollar fine. Wow. God damn, which is like, man. talk about getting off easy. I know the that's family insane. must have just been fucking. That's like devastated. How did when, I know Matthew Broderick's family that? must have been really disappointed? <laughs> yeah. then, right, <laughs> my God, it's true. It's like when when was that? Do you know? I would have been like nineteen eighty-seven. Oh my oh, wow. God! So it was a year after Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Oh, he was riding high, dude. Oh, he, was, he was driving his friend's dad's fucking convertible. That's that's right. And Cameron's that, fucking Ferrari. <laughs> and then he's just, just driving Cameron's Ferrari. It's a shame that that running over so Irish centric. Yeah, Jesus Christ, knocked Man. him down a peg. Yeah, My yeah. Because he's a shame those filthy valet attendants took that car out for a joyride. <laughs> How dare they? Wait, that guy was in something else too. Wait, what? Who? Hell? Who? Uh, Alan Ruck. No, 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 no. The, no, Alan Ruck was in. Uh, he was in Succession, Succession but no, yeah. it's uh, no the the valet. I think was like in. Oh, the valet. Something. Wait, yeah. oh, that's, that's a deep cut. I don't me, know that. That's one. a deep cut. That's <laughs> Chicago Realheads chime in. You, know? <laughs> yeah, it's serious. Actually, wait. When we were watching Barry Lyndon the other day, I made a Ferris Bueller reference. That was fucking. What did really you say? That it was. Me. It was when he's hiding, like he's undercover, as like he had just escaped. He's in the and, Prussian army. Yeah, yeah, he's in the Prussian army, and the he's getting like grilled by the the chief you know like the officer or whatever the Prussian army and they're like where are you going by the way who do you have to see and he goes uh general williamson he goes general williamson general james williamson he goes yeah that's it and he was like the sausage king of chicago oh, yeah. <laughs> general james williamson that's who you're going to see oh but, he's been no. dead for nine or ten these, months these last ten months yeah, yeah. And oh boy! So the oh, Richard Edson's the guy. Yeah, the the valet. He was the guy from Do the Right Thing with the Celtics jersey. Okay. Oh, he's the guy shit. who brought the who bought the brownstone. Oh my god! I don't think I've ever seen Do the Right Thing. He still looks familiar to me. Whatever. I, I love he's, right. he's in a bunch of movies. He's, yeah, he's a why. popular yeah. character actor. Okay, that I makes love sense. Do the Right Thing, but I do have have to watch that again. It's been a little while. Um, I love Do the Right Thing, but I do have reservations about its treatment of Italian Americans. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just, oh I'm shit! Should I watch it or not? <laughs> I, I'm Would I be stu- upset? Your no. listeners do not know my sensibility. No, I, they should know. We do. We do bits. You're good. 
<laughs> Wait, okay. would I? Would I not? Should I not watch it now? <laughs> well, it depends. Are you racist? Uh, no, he, I'm Italian. Italian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be. I don't know. Well, this might test your patience a little. No, we'll fair see. enough. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You know what I think is insane is the fact that they tasked Gracie with getting all the photos of Dave out of the yearbook. Like, you think that yeah. they would have delegated that to <laughs> anyone somebody else. else that That's gig. so funny. That's crazy. That's so funny. <laughs> that I mean, that whole, like, plot line is nuts. And it's amazing that the only time you hear about it, you hear about it twice. It's one is when Matthew Broderick tries to blackmail her. And then the second time is when he's like, I always wondered what he was up to now. Maybe he's off teaching again. And it cuts to him, like, doing fucking price tags and like a staples <laughs> it's like yeah towards like the very <laughs> another end of the like movie. cruel alexander Payne punchline <laughs> is like this guy is it's now life. going to work at a hardware store pricing paint cans <laughs> right <for his> life <laughs> terrible oh, uh, and it's like for some people it's like yeah that is my life are you really <laughs> making a punchline out of my life i right. live in the midwest and i work at fucking ace hardware like you <laughs> alexander yeah, like you know that percent of the audience <laughs> Yeah, right. Like that's that's the weird part about it, and that's why a lot of people took umbrage with pain in critical circles. And same with the Cohen brothers. It's like their punchlines are often their audience's lives, and mm. it's like, do you hate your audience? And I don't think Payne does. I think there's always a level of humanism with him. I have heard that as well about the Coens. Like, do they like hate their characters, or are they? That too used to mean be like the big characters? online debate back in like fucking ten years ago. It's so fucking annoying. Yeah, that is annoying. Like, I don't know. Big Lebowski is one of my favorite movies of all time. For one, absolutely. Like that, he doesn't. I think he's nice to the characters yeah. in that to an extent. Like I don't know the. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, no, those characters, they love those characters. He's yeah. not very Walter nice Sobchak to Donnie. Walter is a hero. He oh, is. Walter Sobchak should have the Medal of Honor. <laughs> They're a little mean to, like, Donnie and to the nihilist. The gay but, landlord, but Donnie, too. Donnie yeah. doesn't work unless they mean to Donnie. So. <laughs> yeah, and the nihilists deserve it, so. That's a great There's nothing to be scared of. These men are nihilists. <laughs> Such a fucking good one. I think that's the <laughs> most movie. quotable movie line in the world. Lines. My favorite. Yeah. Um, what are you, a fucking park ranger now? And also, let's not forget, let's not forget, dude, that keeping wildlife um, an amphibious rodent for, um, you know, domestic within the city, that ain't legal either. To move forward with the plot here, the election happens. It's decided by only one vote. The student's ballot counter uh, has Tracy winning by, by one vote, and the count then goes to Jim, who takes his ballot and gets the same results. This, by the way, felt very... Like, if you didn't know any better, you would think that it was satirizing the 2000 election. Yeah, and it's really funny yeah. that it's, like, 99. <laughs> it's, like, predicted that, yeah. yeah. Broderick then makes the most consequential choice in the film. Uh, he throws out two of Tracy's ballots into his classroom trash can and calls the election by one vote for Paul Metzler. And, and this is how good the filmmaking is. Like, he's doing something horrible and I still, every time I watch it, I'm just like, just pocket the ballots. Don't put them in the trash. You can get away with this. Literally. Just pocket the ballots. But you don't want him to get away with it. It's horrible. It's I know. Like right, right. A petty 12-year-old, you know? Exactly. Which is, again, th this is why I can't be a teacher is because I this is a there but for the grace of God go I moment this climax of this movie is like I get annoyed by people like this too it's and I also am petty and resentful about people who annoy me that and is so I see up. myself 
fucking someone over like that, you know? And like, I can't, you know, yeah. I can't like, so hurt people's feelings. Actually, like I this, can't be a, a high school guidance counselor or whatever the fuck position would uh, put me there. Now, now that I think about it, last year when I was subbing at the high school um, that I was working at, I had to oversee the vi- or like the, the the day of the announcements for all the kids that were running for class offices. They all made little videos that were like five minutes long announcing their candidacy and like what they were going to do and all the things that they wanted. And I was like, I hadn't seen this movie at the time, but if I had, I would have had very different views of everything going on. But it was all so funny. Like they were all exactly the same, but they're all like, you know, they're all TikTok kids now. So they're all, they're all you know, like smash cuts and they have music and whatever. But the types of kids that were running, it's like, it's so funny. Like it also... I did not go to a private Catholic all girls high school, obviously. But I was like, all these kids too. It's like you. F- I felt like I knew them all. And then like Tracy too is a character that like maybe some of the more extreme parts of her character I'm not familiar. But like that character too is just so familiar. And so is the teacher is like way too over involved in their lives. And like you could see it happening. It's like it's realistic without being true. <laughs> like or not true in like the literal sense, but like true in like it would happen. But like you could see it happening. <laughs> like you know yeah. what I mean? Well, it's because there's minor slice of life moments that bring realism to even the most absurd scenarios. Him seeing her Kane's face, movies. being so happy and getting pissed off about it it's yeah, so funny that's amazing. So that, i mean the cruelty of the three freeze frames oh, it's on Reese with their yeah. throughout this movie <laughs> it's yes. so funny so good it's but, like, great the mundane the mundanity of evil almost in right. matthew broderick washing his balls at a hotel right while his kids are taking a quiz a is quiz. like the fact that that makes it more believable that he has to go to the ho- the, the motel and wash his balls is one of the grossest <laughs> and most cruel things about this movie <laughs> but it so also good. makes it more fucking believable because this guy is that pathetic it's right. like the most perfect slice of life little detail but yeah i guess so a, what i was gonna say that yeah. that is incredible like directorial sequence as well from pain like right. when he's he runs out of class to go he's uh, orchestrating a cheat yeah. session with on his wife like pain is like orchestrating all of these different things at the same time where like yeah matthew broderick's class is taking a quiz and he pops out and then he goes and he leaves the school and he goes to the hotel room to prepare for uh his rendezvous with linda and he like gives himself a black eye and then he runs all the way back and well, he gets stung by a bee in the eye yeah he gets terrible luck. Bee. yeah that's hilarious right. and it's and he's like juggling all, all of these different things and at the very end he comes back and he says pencils down it's very impressive um it well it's one of the two times or maybe even more that the direction and the score and the montage and everything builds so much momentum, uh, getting you behind Broderick's personal momentum, only for it to be immediately cut down to size. Right. Every time, because he's building himself up for something that's wrong, so he deserves to get cut down to size every time he does something like and this. But I just think that the direction is so strong in guiding that momentum both ways. So when he goes to cheat on his wife with his best friend's ex-wife, she doesn't show up. He goes back home and she's there speaking with his wife with her kid. They don't have like Matthew Broderick and his wife don't have a kid. They're trying, but it, the woman he's cheating on does. And here's a baby crying in his house. And the first thing he does after he leaves. Well, first of all, instead of like saying anything, he just goes, 
Okay. Yeah, we should know how impressive that is that all of that is communicated basically wordlessly. Yes. Like he walks yeah. in and yeah. you just, you know exactly He's what's fucked. happened yeah. just from those two shots. And it's, yeah, it's like it's you're very being caught for efficient being a piece storytelling. Of shit. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. I also and love then, the little piece right before where he cracks open a Bud Light. Yes. And then before he even takes a sip, he hears the baby cry. So right. he puts the beer on the fridge. And it's like, <laughs> that is the most shameful moment of the movie movie for him yeah. is he won't even allow himself to take a sip of bl he's just like i'm out i i <laughs> fucked it up. it's over well the, what i was gonna say is the the most pathetic thing for me honestly is when he then well he sleeps in his car the next day and he tries to call what was her name linda linda yeah. um instead of calling his wife and saying anything to her he calls linda and he's like what is wrong with you you ruined my life i love you yeah he <laughs> like, goes to it with, like, i still love you are you coming yeah. over later like it's just yeah. this incredibly it's so pathetic, pathetic like, character. Yeah. yeah you said it jim rigs the election in favor of paul but there is an excellent callback to a janitor who he wronged in the first few minutes of the movie when he was cleaning out a disgusting fridge threw somebody's like pad tie out missed the trash can it landed right in front of the janitor who gave him a stink eye end of the movie that same janitor finds the two discarded ballots in matthew broderick's trash can he missed that that's hilarious oh my god yeah Yeah. which you would think he would have just gotten rid of the ballots like you said eddie like just put them in your pocket or take the trash out yourself (laughs) yeah yeah that's I would a whole say other that I, I think that he thought what, he could get away with that. I think what the staging of that scene implies is that, like, there was also the suspicion raised by the uh, SGA head kid who's counting the ballots, right. and like, there it probably was more than yeah. like it was probably like that kid and Tracy and the janitor, like, all kind of had to come to that conclusion together, rather than like the janitor being the mastermind behind it, like it's the end of Unbreakable. But <laughs> I, I, it would be very funny if that was the case uh but i really loved that reveal because it's the second time then where the momentum is built in this case it's like hey i think everything's gonna be okay now get back to school yeah. uh and then it's cut down to size by <laughs> him going into the you. office yeah. and yeah you just it's get the, the stare of death by every main character in the movie it's, basically it's exactly the same as him walking in after you know yeah, uh, Linda yeah exactly and, and his uh, wife work yeah. and home they both have the same exact setup for him yes. to hit his low point right and it's all communicated with just those stares, stares yeah which, well it's just like it's it's I just it's so good. disapproval and disappointment and like and also all these other adults then looking at this guy who's you know he's like teacher of the year or whatever it's like you are just pathetic like why it's i think it's confusion also because it's like why why do you care like why are you getting involved like this what's wrong with you like yeah it's, it's pathetic it's just all pity pathetic. anger and yeah. like hatred all at once disgust just, yeah. just all these like justified emotions yeah. towards this very vindictive very small man, man. <laughs> like, yeah. who let a truly minuscule amount of power go to his head yes um, so, of course, yeah, Tracy Flick wins the election and the movie ends with Jim resigning his job and then he moves to the big city and he starts working as a museum guide at the uh, Natural History Museum yes. and uh, he pays insane rent for a soapbox apartment, hilarious, which I wondered what the like rate was in 1999 of like how much more say, it sounds of, like, pretty realistic line. right now it yeah is, like, actually that's <laughs> like it made me kind of be like hey 1550 a month for that place it's 
probably still about the same. <laughs> yeah, in like 1999, now everybody was would like actually, la- would like point yeah. and laugh at him. Right and now, just every New Yorker pays that. Everyone's like, "Oh man, fifteen fifty for that place? You could that's, that's great." Yeah. <laughs> well, a place like that you'd probably see now for like nineteen two thousand something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also love before it gets to New York. You know, it has that kind of character wrap up with the other people, and you see the Metzlers how they progress, and right. you know, uh, Tammy's success with her new friend jennifer with that donovan song jennifer That's playing right. over it is a that was very awesome. cute playful montage out of uh, the change school, of format yeah and i also thought it back. was just hilarious that fucking what's his name paul, paul. had a uh, mexican themed party at yeah. the cement factory oh yeah. like i don't know what's going on there but i love it i, I actually wrote that 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 line down because i liked it so much it was me and my buddies threw a bitchin mexican party down at the cement plant <laughs> Yeah, and then it goes right into Tammy and her relationship with that that new girl, Jennifer, and the parallels with that shot on the swing of Jennifer and with Lisa Lisa. from, like, the start of the movie where Tammy is basically like, we're going to be together forever and nothing bad is going to happen. And it's like pain saying to you, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, okay, basically. Um, And then Jim sees Tracy Flick one last time walking out of a congressional building, talking to a Republican congressman, hilarious, uh, getting into a limo. And uh, Broderick says, you know, I just felt sorry for her, thinking what her life must be like. And then, of course, the limo drives away and he throws a shake at it. And this kind of validates i think for me a question that was in like the back of my mind for most of the movie which is is jim like accidentally right and trying to like screw oh, over I think tracy the throw yeah. at the end is vindicated completely oh I think yeah he, he's a he's a bad person but his final action is vindicated mm-hmm. yeah i think it's true and it's <laughs> he, like he had an exit route handed to him on a silver spoon and you can only be jealous of that almost but uh like the fact that he's able to now work at the met and have a girlfriend right, who seems appropriate new, for yes, him and yeah. just like fall back into middle class life in new york you know I, it's like that's way too easy for him but also the choice to throw his pepsi or whatever it was at that limo is so vindicated and it's like the high school elections taking place in like 1999 i think you can only assume that this is five years later minimum, broderick yeah. is seeing tracy flick get into the limo with this republican congressman in around 2004 so i think it's only fair to assume that tracy flick was at least partially if not entirely responsible for the invasion of iraq <laughs> absolutely yeah i also think ha- so have you guys seen uh monsieur verdu the chaplain movie i have no so you know the scene toward the end where he sees the former prostitute woman in the street in a car and she's like uh rich now because she married someone in the weapons industry <laughs> and oh it's God. like a uh, business is a booming <laughs> you know because world war ii happens sure, in the right. meantime uh so she becomes a millionaire through the weapons industry and it's this like weird pitiful feeling because at one point verdu helped her out and took pity upon her that, that's the one woman he didn't kill uh because he was like i feel so bad for her but now she's a millionaire in the the weapons industry i feel like this rings in a very similar uh tone to me uh but in a much more comedic fashion where it's much more 
pitiful uh, of the main character than Verdu, who's more moralistic. You know, Verdu's a bluebeard, but he does so uh, because, you know, uh, weapons manufacturing in World War II basically ended his job as a banker or whatever, uh, however you want to justify it for Verdu. Uh, and that his final justification is that he's no worse than the, you know, him killing a dozen women is no is small change compared to the U.S. killing, you know, however many overseas. Oh, my God, um, absolutely. Which um, is like the, the one of the greatest speeches in cinema history. But anyway, I feel like this is the comedic, pitiful version of it where he sees Tracy Flick years later and he like didn't take pity upon her. He actually acted out against her and uh, she still went out and like succeeded and whether you take pity on someone or act out against them they're still going to go on and do their thing and if they're evil they're going to succeed through evil uh, whether it's through weapons manufacturing or the republican party absolutely like i feel like jim see- sees tracy at the end of the movie and like at least to me subjectively like maybe not everybody has this experience and but like i certainly get that feeling when when tracy is is walking into the limo of like look at this monster that was created by this election and by this entire process that that we just spent like two hours watching and like jim at the time was like raising the questions of how many people are going to be hurt because of tracy flick so if i like screw over this election and of course he's doing that for like entirely selfish petty and insane reasons but like at the end of the day, when you get to that shot and she's like, I don't know, ushering in Republicans, it's like, was there like accidentally a point there? Like, yeah. best case scenario, <laughs> Tracy Flick becomes Gretchen Whitmer. So, like, I don't know. But the thing about that, too, is him saying all that. It's like, what, he should know. And it's another part of his, like, you know, patheticness. He can't stop this. This is a, like, you know, an extremely determined young woman who's like, She's on a fucking crash course for Ivy League education and being involved in government or whatever. What is not winning the high school election going to really do? And he's like, I can stop this. It's like, you're a teacher. Like, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Like, this is not, if you wanted to stop this, why don't you like try to actually help her be a better person instead of, you know, do all this. And it just goes to show, you know, one more level of his pettiness and lack of uh, awareness of his status as an adult like or as a teacher it's like this is not what your role should be if that's what you want to do (laughs) yeah it it uh, certainly speaks to the like helplessness that one individual person is going to find themselves like what are like my actions actually going to to change for for good or bad better or worse or whatever like what both like what would i i actually change and like what can one person even do well he also tries to justify what he's doing and like the way you know his petty actions by saying like i can stop this and this is like honorable because it you know she's gonna hurt people and whatever but it's like you're not doing all this is is you being petty (laughs) like it's not like for the greater good because there's nothing you can do to stop what's happening here that final shot matthew broderick giving a tour guide to a bunch of little kids at the natural history museum he asks a question and one little overachiever girl raises her hand high in the air and he ignores her and looks past and says anyone anyone yeah basically (laughs) bueller bueller that's a really great ending i thought very intelligent movie right up until the the very end 
that's probably going to do it i think for us today on mudville uh eddie thank you so much for joining us today we had a very good time talking some uh sports and movies with you um of course yeah that was it was a lot of fun i had i had fun Hell yeah! Appreciate you coming on. <laughs> thank thank Any, you for uh, having me on. You know, uh, I don't, I don't guest on a lot of podcasts, not for trying, but uh, so it's fun to spread my wings and uh, I, I go on someone else's show, go to someone else's house for yeah. once. Of course, yeah. we are having people over here. Plug what do you, you want to plug yourself? What do you want to? What do you want to shout out for yourself? <laughs> oh, I'm too modest for that. Oh, okay. just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I will. Uh, say that you should listen to my podcasts i have extended clip that is the movie podcast i do with jt white and malcolm Baum. we've been doing that for about four years now there's like 250 episodes something like that um and then i just launched the art and sports podcast where every tuesday i will be talking about sports and either you know music movies books uh whatever uh it's basically an excuse for me to talk about what i like the last episode i had will Sennett on to talk about the bangles and my friend ethan vespi on to talk about morrissey and it's just you know it's a revolving door of my friends and my favorite topics and uh yeah listen to those two things i can personally attest those are both very good podcasts i'd listen to them both regularly uh, and then lastly, we want to shout out, uh, we just launched our Patreon like last Ooh. month. We only really did it to get all of our stuff into one place, but we've been told it is very convenient. You can go sign up there. You can either throw us a couple bucks or you can just do it for free. You can find that at patreon.com slash mudville. It's also an alternate channel for when Twitter eventually dies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But- I have... I have- two things before we sign off here one uh i want to know about the origin of the name mudville oh yeah where did that come from uh no shit i don't know i just kind of like thought (laughs) i just kind of came up with it (laughs) yeah so like i don't know i i wasn't entirely sure what i like wanted the podcast to be like when we were when i was first coming up with it this was in like early march or so mm-hmm. and i knew that i wanted it to be about baseball and about movies and about the like intersection sort of of those two things like i actually listened to uh the interview you did with john demarzico and then i mm-hmm. we saw his event at the like museum of moving image so oh yeah he was the, awesome. that mess so cool. exhibit there is sick yeah, yeah like especially that, like, man oh my god that sergio leone like jacob de gram comparison so, is so fucking awesome. cool yeah um yeah and i i didn't feel like there was anything really like in that space so i just wanted mm. to like start some sort of podcast and i'm like notoriously really really shitty at coming up like with a name for anything i write like screenplays and i have like detailed ideas and i just have no idea what the fucking name is going to be so like mm. i'm honestly shocked that i was able to come up with something that i think is as like catchy as this but are you like familiar with the poem casey at the bat casey at the bat yeah, yeah that's what i thought it was from yeah because yeah, yeah. i thought it was from well i wasn't sure if you were referring to the the death cab for cutie song no joy in mudville oh, no. <laughs> what that song was referring to casey at the bat uh, I, I was wondering if you were going with poetry or indie rock there. <laughs> it, it was actually poetry. I was not familiar with that Death song. Death Cab for Cutie like punk, isn't it? I like no, that. I like that. No, okay. no, no, no. Death Cab for Cutie would be, their early stuff would be like twee, lo-fi, kind of, and then they went more 
uh polished but still like in the indie rock to pop rock vein like definitely fair not enough. in the punk vein at all no all right fair enough sorry not to be uh, not, uh, I know, no, 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 i'm had, with you i'm, you know I'm what? a music I, snob I, usually but i'm not a huge dev cab guy you but. know what i i guess if i have a like thesis statement for the name of the podcast i felt like at the time we were talking about baseball and about movies and it felt like there was no joy in either of those worlds at the time <laughs> wow, so i was okay. like fuck it mudville uh, do you have time for a really quick Jets anecdote from yes. me? Oh, yes. yes. When my mother was pregnant with me, my father uh, worked uh, through a work thing, through a chance meeting, got to be in the same room as Joe Namath. Oh, my God. Uh, That's awesome. And, and so my dad really wanted me to be named Elvis. Uh, <laughs> and my, my mom thought that was just ridiculous. <laughs> And so he got Joe Namath to sign a football for me, uh, a special Jets football like the one on your couch. That's what reminded me of it. Uh, that says to baby Elvis oh my from God. Joe Namath. That's so sick. That's amazing. And uh, my middle name is Elvis. Oh, uh, there you go. And I don't know how much the power of Joe Namath did it. <laughs> Or if my that dad had was to play just going like, to stand <laughs> firm on putting Elvis in my name somewhere. That's so cool. Uh, but yeah, that is my my Jets and Broadway Joe connection. That's awesome, man. That's uh, that is very very cool. <laughs> yeah. If they did go through with it, and your first name was actually Elvis, you'd probably have a bone to pick with Sofia Coppola right now. <laughs> I already have a bone to pick with her, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. We won't. We'll choose not to prod that any further for now. <laughs> Maybe next time. Listen uh, to extended clip. You'll find out. Oh yeah. <laughs> Eddie, uh, thanks again for coming on. We uh, we had a very good time this week, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you guys next time. It's over. Go home. Go.